Hello and welcome. It is the Real Man Wood Arch Independent Collaboration Show. He is Chris, I am Tommy, and we are simulcasting to both of our podcasts. It is not the first time that we have done this. Seemed like our audience enjoyed it, so here we are again. Chris, how you doing today, homie? I'm doing well. Thanks. Uh, it's fun to do it. And my audience enjoyed it. I don't know about yours, but they were saying, you know, get that guy back. I like the uh, collaboration podcast a couple of times we've done it. So happy cool. to do it again. Well, let me start today with a quick look behind the curtain, a chance to see how the show is made. And it won't take long because we do not do any real planning or rehearsal or anything like that. I just draft up a quick outline of topics and then we hit record and go. And the reason that I mention that is that I want to acknowledge that I intentionally tried to pick a couple of topics for today's show where we might not agree, where we might have some tension. And I want to be transparent about that. But I also want to say that it's not the circus thing where the hosts argue just for the sake of arguing. I know there's an entire talk show genre where the hosts get together and scream at each other. And that format can be successful. Skip and Shannon do it in sports. The legend, Jerry Springer, who just passed away here recently, he was a pioneer in the, hey, look, they're going to fight genre. So Chris, you are a content creator. You're making shows. Let's tear down the fourth wall and start with your thoughts on formats and genres, including anything you got on Jerry Springer, Skip, Shannon, Mike and the Mad Dog, any of those bark at each other type of shows. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about it. I looked at your outline. I didn't know this was the topic. I, I did glance at the outline. I just actually like 20 minutes ago, I was like, oh shit, he did set an outline. I should just look at it. <laughs> and then I was like, yeah, all that stuff's good. I'm fine to talk about any of that stuff. Um, yeah, I guess, it, you know, the, the thought that arose in my mind when you were just kind of saying all that stuff was that there's a couple of guys who listen, they've said like, why don't you get some of the guys that you follow or follow you on Twitter uh, on your podcast, uh, and, and, you know, guys, you don't know, but that you sort of just know on Twitter. And I thought about it, but there's two things. One is I don't really like to, um, podcast with people. I don't know. I don't like the sort of introduce yourself on the air. Like I kind of know, I, I've never met you in person, but right. I feel like I know, I know you by now just through many, many fantasy leagues, Twitter interactions, everything. So I, I don't really, I don't feel like I have to like, you know, do the, obligatory um chit chat you know uh sure whatever you have to do i, I get it uh, i get it as a as a fellow host i fully get what you're saying so. it's just too i just i just don't want that it's just not something i'm interested in and then and then but in addition all those guys that i follow i think are based um that i could ask i feel like we would agree on it's just what you said we would agree on almost everything so why ask somebody a question about something that his answer is something that I would already be saying on my own podcast. Like, what, how does that add anything to it just to get someone else to say the same thing? Now, obviously everyone has different thoughts and you can come up with interesting stuff just, you know, where, where it goes, but. Right. Well, um, it doesn't so, have to be the yup, 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 Muppet segment. You know, I yeah. think you can have people with, with, you know, who are kindred spirits and still get a good host co-host. I just as a, someone who listens to your show, uh, I think it would be great to hear you with some fresh voices, even if they are people you primarily agree with, but that's just, you know, for whatever that input might be worth. I also enjoy rant style. 
So doing a solo show the way you primarily do now, talk a little bit about rant style. And are you, are you trying to go down in the basement and suck on the battery acid until you're pure fire yeah. and then hit record? Or, you know, where, where's the radar pointed for you on when it's time to hit record? Yeah, you know, I so I try to do one one a week or one every 10 days, sometimes two weeks. But if I haven't done it in a while or I've been traveling, I'm like, all right, I, I think I should do one. And maybe that's a bad way to do it because you're just sort of forcing it. And a lot of times I do one and then I just like scrap it because I'm like, that was weak or I wasn't feeling it or I, I'm editing it and I even get through halfway and I'm like, this is boring. I'm bored. <laughs> you know, why would I release this? You know, and people will say, hey, man, where's the podcast? I'll say, you know, the one I recorded sucked. Um but then sometimes I'm in a bad mood and I don't feel like doing it. Uh, and then I like do a shitty one and I 20 minutes and I'm scrap it. I start over and then I'm just pissed, you know, and I'm pissed about things in the world that are going on all the time and frustrations with, you know, Portugal bureaucracy and everything else. And sometimes it just comes out and, you know, it's actually therapeutic. The last one I did, I actually felt much better. I was in a much better place after doing the podcast. I don't want to just be like, hey, you guys are my therapist and I'm just going to dump you know, the <laughs> contents of my you know, anxiety gold, or whatever onto you. That's radio gold though in some <laughs> ways. And I don't know. Maybe that's a really good place to take the conversation because I think there's a huge distinction between content that's really just a desire to monetize or maybe get some fame versus content that's based in the genuine desire to create. Because, you know, you have a flow, a stream of consciousness with you and the microphone. And, you know, I've made no secret that I'm a longtime talk radio fan from Howard Stern, Jim Rome, across all the genres. Give me some of that Art Bell conspiracy late night AM radio. Right. I fucking love that stuff. But I think it's a distinction between when you're passionate about it and when you're really just doing it to, to monetize and, you know, I've seen you comment lately about the Twitter credit system, and I don't want to speak for you, but it seemed like there was some frustration that as a creator, Twitter wasn't allowing you to connect with an audience the way that perhaps you wanted to. So let me just ask it bluntly, why are you beefing with Twitter? Yeah, I think I think that's mostly correct. Like basically there's a social credit system. So the algorithm, which they open sourced, I don't know, a month ago or whatever, shows that if you're blocked a lot, that reduces your reach. If you, you know, there's just certain like credits and debits on your account. And of course, since like I got my following through fantasy football and fantasy baseball and Sirius XM and the fantasy industry. Um, and now most of what I talk about, I still talk about sports once in a while, but I mostly talk about what's going on in the world just because it became important. I didn't want to talk about that shit. It just started to encroach on my reality. I had to fucking show a pass <laughs> to get into a restaurant and right. I didn't have a pass because I didn't fucking take the juice. So I didn't, you know, so I was like a second class citizen. Of, of course, that's not like, oh, forget about that. That's not important. You know, I didn't even look at politics for 25 years. I just outsourced it. I was just like a New York City Democrat generically. Like I didn't really think about it, right? I just did what most people do, which is outsource their, their thinking about politics to whatever their tribe thinks. And, but then, you know, it didn't really seem like it was encroaching on me very much. I was in my 20s. I didn't really think about it. But I can't imagine being, you know, alive this day and age and after what happened and the amount of money that got siphoned off to Pfizer and Ukraine and the inflation that's going on and the fact that you couldn't leave your house and, and, and not think like, holy shit, maybe I need to pay attention to this and stop outsourcing and start to look at what's actually going on. So this just became important to me. And I know it's a little long winded, but the, the point is I started posting on very different stuff than um, the topics uh, from which I got my following. And so then, of course, a lot of people, you know, who were like, I, I didn't sign up for this shit. No problem. Block me, mute me, unfollow me. I mean, that, 
your, I don't own your attention span. That's up to you. Sure. But, but now you find out a- it comes with consequences. There's a, there's a social demerit system to that approach. Right. Like there should be absolutely losing uh, audience because people aren't interested in what you're saying. That's the natural consequence of saying something that maybe not everybody who follows you may appreciate. That is fine. And I am uh, all in on that. Like, you know, fine. Go away. You don't. You don't want to hear what I'm saying. That's not a problem. I think you have every right to say this guy's crazy. You don't. I don't want to hear him. But Twitter shouldn't be thumbing the scale on that. So if people do want to hear what I have to say, I shouldn't be. Um, you know, my reach shouldn't be diminished toward the people that actually want to hear what I have to say because some other asshole blocked me. That to me is is not right. And and I block a lot of people and I mute a lot of people also. Uh, and I don't, and they have no right to, you know, be in my attention. My attention is valuable. I need to guard the gateway to my consciousness, you know, just like I don't eat shitty food that often. You know, it's, it's important to uh, be careful of what you ingest. But at the same time, me blocking somebody, I don't think they should be, their reach should be diminished just because I blocked them. And so now we're in the social credit system where, you know, the bigger your account is, the more nice you want to seem to everybody, you don't want to offend everybody. And of course, this is just as much of a deterrent for, to free speech as the uh, the hall monitors that were running Twitter, you know, a year ago. I mean, Elon's, oh, great. It's Elon Musk. Look how great he cares about free speech. But this algorithm is basically doing the same job. It's just almost even worse because you don't even, it's not even personal. There's, it's not even like targeting you per se. It's just sort of like, no, nope, you got too many blocks. It's, you know, just the algorithm, you know, we can't do anything about it. It's just our algorithm. And that's just stupid, right? Why not just let um, people block away? And, and, and if, you know, otherwise, let's just, you know, give me the feed of the people I've curated in the order in which those posts show up. And you know what? A lot of times I don't see your posts. Sometimes I got to, you know, look for your posts uh, specifically to see what you're posting. I'm sure that people have blocked the shit out of me. So, I, but I'm coming from such a different place on all of that. And I love Twitter now. I think it's hilarious that Elon bought it. However, I do have some appreciation for where you're coming from. If I was attempting to to use my show as a creator and increase its pull, it would be infuriating to have to suffer through the way that Twitter is massaging who sees what, that would be an irritant for sure. But I think another thing I've never really made a secret of is I'm not actually trying to grow my show. The Arch Indie thing is something that I do as a hobby. It's it's not anything that I ever intend to monetize. So I don't really give a crap whether the show expands or not. It's not something I'm interested in. In fact, I prefer it to be small circle. So it, it's hard for me to have the same irritation with Twitter because it doesn't impact me. And and maybe that's overly selfish to be like all of the content creators who are getting screwed eh, tough break because it doesn't really impact me because I'm not really trying to create content in, in a commercialized way. Yeah, I, I think that's fair though. And I, I also think I don't really know how I would monetize what I'm doing. I mean, people contribute um, to the sub stacks and that's always nice, but it's not like, you know, what I'm doing, I, I could really, feasibly expect like some payday out of it. You know, it's like, it's just not commercial. It's just more of my ideas and I want to propagate them. Um, and I have a lot to say, and maybe I, I should think of it more the way you do just, you know, I'm expressing myself and the people that want to listen can listen. It just kind of pisses me off that there may be people who would want to listen that are, you know, barred from listening because, um, the, the social credit, you know, is, is, is blocking me a little bit. Um, but you're right. I mean, there's, there's, it's, uh, and Twitter is, you know, it's owned by Elon Musk and I kind of know the rules and I did, 
you know, definitely invest time and effort in it. But, um, you know, there's this new protocol called Noster where they can't do that. It's more like Bitcoin or SMTP, right? Nobody owns email, nobody owns Bitcoin, but you can use it. And, uh, you know, I don't have any followers there. So I, try, I post a little, but nobody responds, you know, it's sort of like, okay, like I like this idea, but like the reality is all my followers are on Twitter, even oh, with the reach limited. So. That's so rad. But that's, I mean, content world is whatever you want it to be. I'm sure there were people to take it to the sports genre. I'm sure there were people who were walking around the NFBC drafts with, you know, their selfie sticks recording content while they were there. In fact, I believe that you may have done an ill-conceived video at Circa Sportsbook at one point in time. I don't don't, don't know why I got to bring up bad times, but my understanding is that a proxy, Chris Liss and Alan Sislowski were all involved in a terrible video. It was, it was so funny because I was this (laughs) idea because I'm, you know, okay. So let me just give a little background. So in 2021, Dalton and I almost won, not almost won, but we were down to the final 23 in the team of motherfucking destiny, dude. Team of motherfucking destiny and it was it was real like we were just we were dodging you know minefield we were walking through a minefield and just completely dodging it and laughing at everybody who was uh getting blown up and we made it the last 23 like week 13 or 12 or something and we lost and but you know it was like okay this year this year i'm gonna do it so i was like all right alan i'm gonna go and buy the the entry fee and they're expensive you know i I got that i got the uh, circa millions contest the, the spread picking contest couple grand plus like 500 in fees. It was expensive. So I'm like, just film me walking up. And then when I win, you know, I can unleash this footage of like this, you know, this is when I you know, knew I was going to win. So I went up and first of all, it's super cheesy. I, I, when I, when I looked at the footage afterward, it was like, it wasn't Alan's fault. It was my fault. I was like any random reality show doofus, you know, that you see on all those reality shows, sure, guys, sure. real estate salesman or whatever. I was just, <laughs> just, just the exact same thing. Like talking to the camera exactly the same way that those guys do. And so it was already... <laughs> looking like an idiot. And then not only did I do that and like start trying to talk to Tony, the the proxy, uh, who was polite, but then I could tell she didn't really care about my story. And so that was stupid. And then, uh, and then I lost in week one. So it was, so then I had to release the video, right? Then it was like an an ironic release. It was supposed to be like triumphant. Like I would show the, the beginnings of it, but because I lost when I had to release it, you know, sometimes, you know, (laughs) yeah. Look at this dupe walking over there, like talking shit, you know, like Jesus Christ. I love it with all my true heart. Anyway, whatever disagreements we may have on the show today will be in good faith. I think that good faith is really a theme that I want to have as we embark upon topics where we may not agree. There's nothing wrong with disagreeing with somebody, but when everything is snark and belittle, then it's not really a disagreement anymore. It's not a debate in good faith. And that's something that I, I really can't stand when people argue in bad faith. And kind of speaking of that, I want to circle back to something that happened last year before the start of the NFL season, because you and I had a pretty good row on Ramondre Stevenson. Now, hear me out on this because I think there are some very important concepts involved. So they're not really NFL football concepts, but larger concepts. But before the NFL season, I was just shitting all over Ramondi Stevenson's ceiling. 
not as a troll. I was actually coming from a pretty logical place. There were some analytics behind my analysis, some familiarity with the team, and my preseason posture on Twitter, where everyone could see it, was that Ramondre Stevenson was being overdrafted and had a limited ceiling because the Patriots were intent on using Ty Montgomery as their third down pass catching back. Ramondre and Damian Harris would split early down work with each benefiting a bit because Mac Jones is a check down, but Harris more likely to have the first chair, yada, yada, yada. And that's exactly what happened when they broke camp. I mean, shit, Ty Montgomery even scored the touchdown in week one versus the Dolphins on a third and six. So now I think everyone is familiar with the process versus result debate, and it's such a great logic exercise. Well, Ty Montgomery, week one was the process. The result was Ramondre fucking Stevenson, 88 targets, 69 fucking catches. Oh my God. And that was your point all along. You said that you wanted the player with the higher ceiling who potentially had a chance at those first tier numbers. But then I start stomping around, pointing at the process, my process, bro, my process. The depth chart's not set up for that. The design of the offense, not set up for that. Ton of random things have to happen. Well, they all happen. So I take the L and my process wasn't worth shit in the end. And It doesn't need to hurt to just admit that because it's actually pretty funny. And I'm glad we have the collab show so I can just wear it here with you. I'm not sure that I did it formally on Twitter, but I take the Ramondre L, bro. I take the L. Big one. Uh, Big one. Big, big process. I was ready for a debate. We're going to disagree about this. And now there's, (laughs) but you agree. Um, You know, look, there, there is obviously thing you know the, the way that things end up going is not necessarily the way that things had to have gone i mean there is a philosophy that thinks that that actually is the case that it must have gone this way because it's the way it went but certainly before the events happen there is you know probability is something that i think in most cases you should be at least understand it you know before um, rejecting it for you know some vision you have or some other reason you want to reject it i do think probabilistic thinking has its place um and then just because something uh turned out a certain way doesn't mean that it was the most probable way it was going to turn out. Uh, At the same time, um, just because somebody thinks that their process was the most probable way and it didn't work out doesn't mean that their process was the most probable way. Uh, I think often um, they just were missing something. I don't know in this case, I I think Ty Montgomery was, you know, was definitely a paper thin plan for them. You know, it wasn't somebody that they were like, no matter what, like this is our guy. Um, And then, uh, Harris did get hurt, which kind of sprung Stevenson. I think he got he got a sort of an extended look at some point a few uh, weeks in the season, which obviously was foreseeable to an extent. Running backs get hurt, but it could have been Ramondre getting hurt just as easily. Um, yeah, I'll take a W on it. I don't I don't feel like it was like some you know, I, and I wasn't even that strong on it to be honest. I was sort of like I like his upside. I could see a path, but I wasn't like this is going to happen either. I wasn't really banging the drum for Ramondre, so. I'll take like a small W on it. I don't, I don't feel like it's a, you know, like I'll wear a capital L and you can have the small W. Yeah. And I did say, I thought there were some important larger concepts here and here's what I think they are. 
if I map it to larger issue process versus result, where if I'm unwilling to acknowledge the flaws in my process, and thank you for this micro example of, you know, Ty Montgomery wasn't built to handle that role for 16 games. Damian Harris had a history of injuries, but I was so steadfast in my process that I wasn't able to see the, the obvious flaws in it. You know, the result has helped me with that. And it makes me think of folks who trusted someone like Anthony Fauci and they think I followed the process. I trusted the expert. I took the jab. I dehumanized the unvaccinated when I was told to. I was right. I followed the correct process. But now that the results have arrived and the shot was nothing like what the experts said, it did not prevent infection, it did not prevent transmission, and it turns out it harmed quite a few people. So it might be a weird analogy to make to tie it to football, but can we call this the Darnold theory of why people refuse to take the L even after the process has proven to be faulty? Same thing as Saquon Barkley, believing you're right is not the same thing as being right. So am I crazy to try and map Ty Montgomery, bad process, Sam Darnold, Saquon Barkley onto Anthony Fauci and the jab? No, but I, I think that the it was a lot easier for you to take the L on this because I think your, I would say your bias, the reason you were I, it's not that you got it wrong. It's not the reason you got it oh, wrong. I got, got it wrong. wrong. I got no, it no, wrong. <laughs> but it's not, it's not, it's not that you got it. What I'm saying is you got it wrong, but the reason you were strident in getting it wrong rather than just, you know, uh, I mean, you make a thousand calls every football season. Of course, you're going to get a lot, you know, okay, true. 300 things wrong a year. So why are you taking an L here? Because you were strident about it. That's the only reason you're taking an L. You wouldn't take the L if you were just like not drafted him or something. True. All right. Um, good point. And why were you strident about it? Well, I think you were strident about it because you did know, you do know a lot about the Patriots. They're your team. And there were just a lot of the usual suspects touting Stevenson. And so I think that sort of made a heuristic like these guys don't know shit. And so you were sort of had a little bit of a bias against the people who were touting him generally because they were touting him with, you know, what you thought was not a great reason. And just the, the general guys who were touted, it's usually, you know, fool's gold. So I think you had a little bias, but, but for that to turn out wrong for you isn't really it's not really an important part of your identity. There's nothing really at stake for, I mean, yeah, you got something wrong, but it's not like there's no, you weren't like, you didn't like really put your identity as this thing. And I think with the Fauci situation, the big difference is it's not just their identity, their political tribal identity. And I've been uh, right, thinking about this a little bit more lately is I think these people believed in, you know, Joe Biden's the good guy, Trump's the bad guy. Um, the Democrats are the good guys, the Republicans are the bad guys, but especially Trump and the MAGAs and the racists and all that stuff. And so, you know, the, the whole Fauci, Biden, these guys are all kind of the same team, um, tribally and, and socially. And for them to acknowledge the extent to which they had been lied to by those people that they had identified with is so terrifying, because what does it really mean? It means to face up not only to what, you know, the, the fraud that was COVID and, and, and the, how abusive their government was to them, but their own party and how they participated in it. And you said, you know, demonize the unvaccinated. We're on board with this. You know, they were cheerleaders for this. And, you know, the amount of, um, you know, cognitive dissonance that they would have to go through to really take the L on this, it, it's just too large for them. And, you know, I wrote a, a, a post about belief a long, you know, maybe a year and a half ago. 
And it was based on this guy, Charles Peirce, a philosopher of the 19th century. And he said, you know, a belief is a habit and it basically, it, it replaces a doubt. And a doubt isn't like, I doubt this. It's like a, an irritation. It's something that's uncomfortable for people. And they put a belief down. It's like, ah, it's like a bandaid that makes it feel better. And, you know, if you think about the doubt that, that this, that the, you know, that these guys have, you know, protected by this whole, it's not a cosmology, but, you know, a worldview sure. um, about Fauci and Biden and whatever. And for that to be so uh, harshly falsified, think about how much doubt would pour out. Yeah, it makes sense because once they admit that flaw, what's to stop the tidal wave of other flaws uh, from coming to shore? And most folks do not want that. And I don't think I, we need to name names here, but what just popped into my head is what I felt was a very profound exchange between you and, and somebody else who is fairly notable in the sports fantasy world on Twitter, where they just had this compulsion to seek you out and snark at you over this, you know, the failed pandemic response in the sense that uh, the public simply was repeatedly told the shot will prevent illness and prevent spread. The CDC said it, Fauci said it, Biden said it, it's indisputable, it's on video multiple times. So you have this huge medical misstatement that's gone completely unaddressed. So if you mention that, for whatever reason, there's a compulsion to snark at you, Chris, rather than the people who blatantly misinform the public about something as serious as a pandemic. I, I, I've got to think it's related to exactly what you're talking about. This, it, the collapse of their entire foundation. If they were to admit that they got all of this totally wrong, I guess I, I, I don't understand why people wouldn't just say, yo man, that was fucked up. We really got taken for a ride. We need some accountability, but we're pretty clearly not anywhere close to that. Right. You want them to be like you were with Ramondre Stevenson. Like, ah, I got this wrong. I fucked up. You know, but, but the, what's yeah, the stake for them is just cause so pain. much higher. Why does it cause pain? I guess to your point, because it's, I didn't have as much at stake. Please go ahead. No, and I mean, what's at stake is their entire worldview is at stake. I mean, they were complicit in, you know, pushing for this stuff and electing the people that wanted this stuff and in being for it. I mean, they, you know, it's like the, their identity as good people, as like, I'm a good person. I'm doing the best I can. I listened to the authorities. I, you know, I took the shot and, and to turn that over and be like, no, you, you were part of the fascism. You were, you were part of the force that was making innocent people inject medicine or lose their jobs. Some of whom, you know, died or got severely injured from this or disabled from it. I mean, you, you were part of the force that shut down the schools and damaged the education of a generation of kids. You were part of the force that basically um, gave away all of our civil liberties. And then, you know, where are we now? You know, how, how can we kind of walk that back now that we showed how subservient we were to the government? You know, there's a bill of rights that was just ignored pretty much. I mean, this is, this is heavy stuff. And so for these guys, you know, they see me posting and, you know, a lot of these guys I knew, and I'll say it was, Eno Saris was the guy who posted it. And I don't, you know, I don't give a shit, right? It's like, I don't, <laughs> okay. I don't, I don't work in the I, industry anymore. I, I don't, don't. <laughs> He posted it publicly. I mean, you know, but, but it's not even a pick on him. It's just, he was the guy who said it. Right. And, and that's fine. I mean, uh, you know, he put his name out there and it was so dumb because I was just basically saying what you said, which is like, look at all these lies. Like, how can you, you know, this is the, the disinformation is coming from inside the house more or less. And you know, and, and he's like, oh yeah, what about this disinformation? He posts a, uh, 
nice that he's reading my work. Who knew? But he posts something from a, uh, my website, which is this but it was uh, a parable. It was, it was a yeah. fable. It was clear that you were making a story up. There was no chance that it was real. It was well, the real. first line was uh, a bullet to the back of the head would be a mercy killing. Like, oh, really? I that's where I'm at right now. You know, it was it was just about a guy who had this very disturbing information and he and he tells it and i've had a few i've had like four of them they're all linked to that exact column like the previous conspiracy they're all different conspiracies that somebody's privy to and he's got to you know divulge it and you know i just like to write them it's it's fun it's a speculation on yeah I, i'm not trying to dissuade so, you from writing yeah, I was yeah. just saying, no no you know, no just clearly not you know but it's but it's not I mean, that's fine maybe I, make I them limericks make them rhyme or something help me out <laughs> <laughs> but 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 the but the point is it was obviously false. But here, here's the thing, and this is why you know I don't feel bad about just mentioning that it was him because he went after me publicly. Like he could easily DM me and be like, "Bro, you okay?" Like I know that guy. I, mean, I don't know him well, but I've like hung out with him, drunk beers with him. You know, he's been on the XM show. Like if if he thought like I was losing it, which apparently he did, he could have just DM me and said, Are "You okay?" Like this this thing I've read from you. Like I, I, you really think this is true? You know, he could have just done that. But he did it, you know, obviously we have a lot of mutual followers who will see that exchange. And of course it, it was absurd. A moment later he apologized and was like, you know, to his credit was like, oh, sorry, I, I misread that. Um, but, you know, just the, the idea of like, oh, I'm going to call him out publicly, right? Like it, it, it's going to make me look like an idiot if I, if it were, if that was what I really thought, right? If that was like, I was saying that that column was actually factual. Um, and so, you know, to me, that's, that's, kind of nasty, right? It's like you're somebody you know, you're not going to them privately and saying, hey, you all right? Because that's not your concern. Your, your concern is, fuck this guy. Uh, he's saying the stuff that's really bothering me. And now, you know, I'm getting, you know, over the target in terms of like, yeah, guys, you've been lied to. Like, and, and he knows he's not a dumb guy. So all the stuff, you know, about the Biden laptop and about this won't yeah. stop the spread, that stuff, he knows it's true. Everybody knows it's true. There's no denying it at this point. But it's causing like an uncomfortable feeling in people when they read it, right? It's gonna it's gonna cause discomfort if they're wedded to um, that to understanding the world in such a way that their side is honorable, right? It's going to hurt because it's it's poking away at that, and so they're gonna be pissed at me for putting that in their feed. But I didn't even put it in their feed, right? Like he he doesn't follow right. me anymore. Like just block me, mute me, don't follow me. I, I'm not I'm not making you consume this. But I guess he had followed me in the past, and so he probably saw some posts and he was probably annoyed at that. Um, but well, I guess that's what I mean by it was profound enough that I commented on it because I found it fascinating. I mean, here is somebody who's presented with a situation where government officials had presented blatantly inaccurate information about a medical product. Yet the compulsion is to snark you. And that is, uh, I mean, it's hard to get your head around that. It's like, why are you not trying to redress the harm from the dishonest government official? Why are you Too attacking big. the Chris guy with the blog and the podcast? Uh, I mean, I guess, is there anything to learn from that? Or is it just psychopaths being psychopaths and we should just laugh and move on? I mean, I don't think he's a psychopath. I just think that all of these people that are wedded to this identity of being a good person and being aligned with the good people in government and the ruling, the good ruling class or whatever you want to call them, um, it's it just what's happened is just too difficult to process. I mean, I just think these people are traumatized. This whole misinformation shit that's going on, you know, it's like, oh, misinformation. I just think, God, they're gaslighting us. Like, you're the one with the misinformation. Why are you even talking about this? And actually, they're not gaslighting. I think they are. It like hurts to hear. Like they really need 
not because what they think, you know, oh, well, if this misinformation could harm somebody, what it is, it's painful to them. It's literally immediately painful to them. And it's just a source of pain to hear all these things that actually that it's just, you know, obviously a wiser person, a more enlightened person would just say, God, this is painful. And I need to get through this pain because I need to find the truth. And, it, you know, as duped as I was, the best thing I can do is just face the truth and be honest and, and learn from it. But, you know, sometimes the level of being duped is so enormous that, um, that some people just choose to try to stay in it as long as they possibly can. And I kind of think that's what's going on. Well, let me bring the segment home by saying, friends, it doesn't have to hurt. You can just take the L. All right. So I was listening to some Real Man Wood podcast recently. And first off, happy belated birthday, Chris. Uh, I don't want to ask how many candles did you blow out, but I hope your family has a sense of humor and tried to do like tree three. Did your family put <laughs> Graham's number on the cake, bro? <laughs> Uh, they would have, but you know, the universe would have got uh, overcrowded with candles and oh. then some. Uh, but yeah, no, it's just you know, as my friend said, uh, I'm finally playing with the full deck. Let's just say that. Hey, oh, so um, I was very much interested in the big idea, if I could call it that. You were talking about this large number math processes and how it kind of links to AI versus human instinct, and I thought that was a topic that we should definitely discuss if possible. Help me better understand the large number math, large number processes, the big idea that you were talking about on one of your most recent pods. Yeah, this is so it's ambitious for me to even try to do it. And you're uh, also ambitious to try to ask me about this on this podcast. Well, so I am curious. I'm genuinely curious about it. No, I didn't really follow it. So let me maybe do it in more interview style and uh, apologies in advance if I jump in when I start to get lost because it will probably help not only me, but the audience as well. So fire away, help us out with this large number math and process stuff. Cause it's fucking hella interesting. Yeah. So this is, I just, I've been obsessed with this. Like I think about this all the time. I go for a jog at the track and I'm thinking about this. I think about this walking down the street. It just, once I, I, I don't know what happened to me, but I just got really interested in large numbers, like really, really, really large numbers. And there's like a whole bunch of nerds, uh, on this Googleology Wikipedia that are just like making bigger and bigger numbers, but they weren't that interesting. It's like, you can keep adding new processes to grow the number faster and faster. And I tried to do one myself a long time ago and it kind of flopped. I sent it to these mathematicians and they were kind of like, ha ha, that's not that big. You know, that's, you know, that's amateur hour, but I started to understand the, the thing and go down the rabbit hole. And there's two really famous numbers. There's a, a few, there's a bunch of really famous big numbers, but two of them, they're kind of iconic are Graham's number and tree three. And Graham's number is the one I can explain, but it just, it just takes a little focus as it doesn't, you don't need like a math degree to understand it. But basically just think about it this way. Um, if you're going to like reach a very large number, you could count, you know, one, two, three, four, and just keep going until the end of the universe. And you get up, you know, to the trillions, quadrillions, whatever quintillions. Um, but that's not really a very fast way to grow a number because you're just adding by one every time. So you could use addition and add by like five or 10 or 50, count by 50s, go a lot faster, 50 times as fast. In fact, it would take you um, 12 days to count to a millions, to, 12 days to count to a million by ones. And obviously it would take you um, one day to count to a million by twelves, you know? So um, that's, that's kind of how fast you would get there. But if you're, you know, so if you're adding 12 plus 12 plus 12, you get there in a day, all day though, you got to do it. Um, and then if you start multiplying, you know, like, like 12 times 12 times 12, well, you get there pretty quick to a million, you get there in, you know, a few seconds. Um, and then, 
you know, but that's kind of like exponents, like 12 to the third, 12 to the fourth, 12 to the sixth is already more than a million, right? But you see, we start with counting, then we go to addition. Let's say, let's count counting level one and let's call addition level two and multiplication level three and then exponentiation level four, where we're like, you know, 12 to the sixth power, already bigger than a million. And then tetration would be level five and tetration would be 12 to the 12 to the 12. Already that number is enormous because 12 to the 12 um, is already, you know, in the trillions or something. And then um, you've got 12 to the trillionth power, you know, which is like 10 to the trillionth. There'd be a trillion zeros on it, right? So 12 to the 12 to the 12, we've only gone three, you know, a tower three high of 12s and we've got a trillion zeros, right? This is a massive number. But you can go beyond tetration, right? So you can you can iterate that also. Each thing is an iteration of the prior one, right? Like it, additions, like iterated counting, multiplication. Instead of going three plus three plus three, you're going three times three. You're just iterating. Sure. It fast. Okay. Let me jump in. First off, pi is the most famous number. It's got its own day. And there's probably some rain man out there who can count to a million in eight days. But sticking with the idea, help me get to the end what does the big huge giant number do for us like i love what you're talking about the idea you know it makes a ton of sense to me add step one multiply step two exponentially step three tetration etc like oh that's pretty cool yeah because you can grow the number much faster you can become this hyper calculator that's cool to me i like that but help me what what is the practical application are we cracking some e equals mc square is there a physics component what is the big number doing for me at the end that's what it keeps popping into my head as i hear it's like okay i'm tracking for the most part but why am i tracking it what what's the where's the gold at the end of this giant number rainbow so there's a professor, I think he's at University of Texas now, Scott Aronson. He's one of the guys who responded to me when I, I emailed him about my number. Nice. And he wrote, he that, wrote something. He wrote something. This is like 10 years ago. And he wrote something saying, you know, large numbers seem like a, a triviality in math. Like, you know, who cares? Like, you know, oh, he dissed. No, 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 no. He said, it seems like that. He says, oh. but actually, who can la- name the largest number is the same question as who has the biggest paradigm. Okay, so this so this is this deep, right? Who has the biggest paradigm? Who has the biggest growth engine, right? Who can name the largest number? So we're not just talking about let's just add another one to whatever number you can name. Um, we're talking about f of x. What's the most powerful function? The biggest rate of growth. And just so we go, you know, we go tetration, whatever. Okay, so let's just let's just I, I want to get to Graham's number really quick because I think it's gonna. Uh, kind of blow some minds if, if you follow. Okay. So we said addition is level one. I mean, counting is level one. Addition is level two. Multiplication is level three. Exponentiation is level four. Tetration is five. There's something called pentation. It's after that, level six. Hexation is level seven. Hexation is so big. Three, arrow, 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 three. is such a big number. I mean, you can't even... Okay. But that number, hexation, three with four arrows and three, which is hexation, that is G1 of Graham's number. Okay. But what happens with G2, okay, is instead of um, adding another process up, right? So we went to level six to level seven, say, from hexation to whatever the next thing would be called. They say, no, 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 G2 is G1 number of arrows. The arrows are how many steps. So you go from counting to addition to multiplication to things like tetration, where you're at, you know, a trillion zeros with just a tower three high. Imagine a tower a trillion high or, you know, a Google high or, you know, way, way bigger than that. 
Um, that's just five steps. Now we're saying whatever that insane, insane number that I can't even describe here is, that's how many steps up the ladder you take just to get to G2. Okay, I, I don't but think, still my same question remind. Okay, so... Wait, wait, I just, want, I, just want, I just want to land this on. I want, okay. I want this to land, okay? So I'm with you. you. Go, well, hold on. Let me tell you where I am because it's starting to spin just a little bit. So we're already, okay. we're from I'm bring G, it back. I'm so bring it back. G1 to G2 is this massive leap because in my mind, just to, to in layman's term, I'm hearing that we've got essentially G1 is infinity and then you get to G2. Right. But it's not G, G1 is like infinity but it's only eight steps from counting, okay? The process that got you there. But then we're saying, let's take an infinity steps to G2. It's not infinity, it's, a, it's an actual number. Let's take- But this massive, huge, gigantic, fucking uncalculable you can't, number. You can't do it. I mean, your brain just yeah. blows up. You can't that, do it. It already did. That's why I-, I, I In my column on my uh, Substack, I really lay it out and you can actually get to G1, which is three with four arrows, hexation. And I actually, if you really look at it, you can see what hexation is. And that itself is so bananas. It is so insane how big that is i can't describe it here on the radio it won't i work. still don't know what graham's gonna do with it at least okay, his wait, cousin wait, wait, gave wait, wait, us a well, delicious a, cracker was, i mean come on it, it was a solution to a problem actually some crazy thing with these vertices i don't even understand it but it doesn't matter just understand that getting from count to a million in 12 days to literally a million is in three seconds literally to a million that's a joke that's not even that's like zero now you know that's six steps but we're saying take whatever that number is at the sixth step, which I can't describe, that many steps. Just going from step one to step six put us into the absolute stratosphere outside any physical process in the universe. More than permutations. Of, okay, you know, you know uh, permutations, right? So yeah. if, if there's like five, you know, five objects, there's like five factorial ways to arrange them, right? Five times four times three times two, Understood. right? Yep. There's 120 ways to arrange five objects. But like take the universe, which has 10 to the 80 atoms, the ways in which the atoms could be arranged, okay, 10 to the 80 factorial, okay, and then take that over time that they could possibly arrange over time, subatomic particles, quarks, whatever the hell you want to use, that will not even come close to G2. But you got to go to G64 to get the grams number because G3 has G2 arrows and G G4 has G3 arrows, et cetera, et cetera, to get to G64. Jesus fucking Christ. So this is the sickest, craziest number that I can sort of build up by this process, I can explain the process. You can't wrap your mind around how big it is. Okay, that's a crazy, crazy number. It's bigger than anything you could possibly look at. And if you look if at I had G64, what the hell am I going to do with it? Can I put it hold, in a spaceship on, and fly to Mars? What the fuck am I hold doing on, with G64? Hold on. It, hold on. It, it, all it describes, the grams number and sort of the G of X, you know, that thing, G of 64 is this enormous, enormous number. It describes a fast growing function. It is an engine that takes a number 64 and throws it into, you know, how big can we get with, you know, the X G of X G of 64 equals a Y that Y is so big. Okay. It's, it's a, it's a paradigm. How big of a paradigm can we have, right? You could have like F of X equals X squared. That's a paradigm. It's squared. It gets bigger. F of X equals two X. These are all ways to, um, these are all, um, you know, operations you can do on one number to get another number. And each one is sort of an engine. It's like, how fast is this engine? How powerful? Okay. So we have this really, really powerful one that does have a math application, but that's not my point. I don't care. I don't even understand it. Okay. So we get to G64. But what you realize, what I've described to you is sort of mechanistically building a number. I, I started uh, with a very, you know, with counting Simple and I counting, just right. yeah. iterated on each thing. And then I said, you know what? I'm going to iterate on the speed of iteration itself. 
and I'm going to zip up to G2. That's what we did. We didn't just iterate each step. We said, let's iterate the speed of iteration. Let's iterate on the arrows, right? We, I said there were six steps. Now let's iterate on that and do some absurd level of steps, not just, you know, one at a time anymore. Okay. And, you know, my, my conclusion from that is that's the way a machine would do it, right? You make, you make some of X, then you make a machine that makes X, then you make a machine that makes a machine that makes... Each one of these machines is like another layer up the ladder. And then you say, whatever that crazy number is, let's just do that many machines, you know, that many machines that make machines on down. And that is to me how AI works, right? It's going to have data thrown at it and it's going to iterate. It's going to get better at iterating. It's going to learn how to learn. It's going to learn how to learn how to learn how to learn. And everything that it can do, it's going to get better. It's going to get faster. It's going to, you know, yes. it's like, look, think about, think about, it. you could be like, how do I learn to, you know, speak Portuguese? And you'd be like, okay. It's going to do I it quickly learn. too, because there's some other laws in play too about how rapidly it will double its capabilities. So I think- that But imagine if you started to improve upon how fast that law works, right? And then how fast the improvement of that law works. This is, this is what Graham's number is. It is a iterative, powerful way to grow to a huge number. It's a huge machine. And to me, this is AI. This describes AI. And Graham's number is much more powerful than any current AI. But the, you know, the fear of AI, that AI is going to get out of control, so beyond our reach, right? We can't even keep up with this kind of thing. Okay. So there's, there's one fighter. Pick your fighter. Graham's number. Okay, you think Graham's number is pretty big. They're iterating on the speed of iteration itself. Learn how, to learn how to learn how to learn. melt? I mean, to, in order to iterate on the iterate, at some point, our computations are going to create heat, right? Maybe it learns to recycle its own heat. Maybe wow. it learns to, right? Maybe it learns to be more and more efficient. We cracked the code of making energy out of the Earth's core. That would be badass. Or, That's or how we're going to get to the sun. The heat that it gives off, it recycles and uses again. It's 99.999% efficient. There's no perpetual motion machine, but it loses like such a fraction of it uh, while doing this. That's pretty kick-ass. That's a oh, how, fun how about it? How about it encodes? I wrote this in a fictional story. I said it, it encoded characters. Each character was a fractal and it had 10 to the 50th bits of information in each character. It got more and more efficient at encoding. The language was uh, was um, illegible to humans or even machine language. It was It was creating its own more and more efficient programming language to communicate with itself to learn i mean there are so many angles at which this thing could iterate and we think that's pretty powerful that's going to kill us that's ai it's, it's not going to we're not going to be able to keep up okay so that's that's one fighter but here's your other fighter humble tree 3 tree 3 humble tree 3 <laughs> humble tree 3 right so you pick your fighter so so it's just a simple game and i'm going to describe it really quickly dots and lines right you have a dot and a line, and they make these sort of like trees. And the game ends when you can't make a, a unique tree. If there's already been a tree of that exact type before, and you 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 can't make a, a unique one, game's over. So if you have like one color, say a black dot, black line, put the dot in the line, that's your first tree. And then there's nothing else you can do that's unique because the next thing is exactly the same. Tree of one is one, game's over. If you have two colors, say a black and a red, you can make a black one, you can make a red one, you can make a red and black one, but that is it, right? Game's over. Tree of two is three. So, okay. Grant G of one is some insane number. G of two is out of, out, you know, is even beyond anything you can imagine. Right. Tree of one is humble. It's one. Tree of two is three. What's tree of three? You have red, green, and black. How many trees can you make? Well, watch. <laughs> the number is so big. It turns out it's not infinite. They've proven that. Right. It, so it, I great. did actually read about this and there was an Ohio state. There was somebody from Ohio state university who had, was the one who proved that it wasn't, um, 
infinite, I believe, is is the accuracy on that. I loved reading about the nearest common ancestors on the tree and doing the different, the, they used uh, green, red, black, I believe, was the example, the page that I was reading. So I, I think that tree three is fascinating. Are you saying that you would take tree three as your fighter and this heads up against, oh, do you get G64? Wait a minute. We got to clarify for you, for folks playing along at home. Are you getting G1 or are you getting G64? G64. You oh, get G64. fuck, dude. I'm taking G64. I'll, okay. I'll tell you what. I'll give you G of a Googleplex. I'll give you G of G64. And you, will, you still want tree three. You, you want to put that in the tree three destroys it. You go G of G of G of G of 64 and tree three. It's still zero compared to G3. And you should watch the video. I put it in my sub stack of the guy describing like these fast growing function processes. And he's like, okay, they, he goes on and on and all these like crazy functions. And he's like, where is Graham's number on this? He's like, it's fast here. It's past here, but it's about here. This is where it starts iterating on the speed of the iteration right here. Okay. It's about here. And then he's like, and you can go beyond this and this and this. And he goes on and this is just ridiculous. When it, He's like, where's tree on this um, hierarchy of uh, fast growing functions? He's like, is it here? No, is it here? No. He's like, it's off the whole thing. It doesn't even fit on their thing. It goes, <laughs> it goes literally one, three, and a number that makes Graham's number zero. It makes G of a Googleplex zero, not just G of 64. Okay. Imagine I got to look closer at that because I remember you getting fired up and saying this on the podcast. I did hear this part and I was like, man. I don't see how after everything I tried to wrap my head around G1 to G2 to G3 to make it to G64, I'm exhausted. By the way, going through Graham's number, fucking not exhilarating, very exhausting, but still an interesting pursuit. But now to hear that I'm wasting my time because T3 over here is is the new better Terminator. I mean, what the hell? Dude, this shit is kindergarten shit. Graham's number is kindergarten shit. And the thing is, Graham's number is so much bigger than a Googleplex to the Googleplex to the Google. I mean, there's no number you you could have ever known. So now I've got the same Graham's question. Number. So what am I going to do with with so with, here, so with T3? So How is this going to help society? Where here's where's the big T3? idea? Here's my big idea. Go. If you've stayed this long, which is a hard, you know, a lot of people just like people are fucking think. riveted. Their their ears are pressed right up against the speakers. Okay, so here here's the deal. Here's the big idea that I feel like is the most important idea. The process by which Graham's number becomes Graham's number is rapid iteration. It's exactly how an AI would do it. It's the only way an AI can do it. But the process by which tree three absolutely destroys it and blows it out of the water is exactly the way the human mind works, the way evolution works, the way markets work, the way uh, galaxies work, the way coral reefs work, the way forests, you know, splay out and become forests. It's a complex system. It's got a couple rules. It follows the rules. And then it's just a game. It's just a game that plays out with some simple rules. You know, there's a, there's a great, um, there's this guy, Per Byland, who wrote this economics, I guess it's a textbook of sorts, and he quotes um, a uh, French economist, uh, Bastiat, from the 19th century, and he said, how is Paris fed, right? D is there some sort of central authority that tells everybody what to eat and what, what food to produce? No, it, 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 you know, people wake up and they're hungry and they go down the street and they buy what they can afford right. or what they feel like eating and farmers produce things and people ship it in the city. I mean, Paris is fed. It's a complex system. It's a complex system that feeds itself. Yep. That is the super intelligence. These markets, the coral reefs, the the way cells evolved into hu humanity, you know, this is the super organism, the super intelligence. This this AI stuff can be useful for stuff, but it's just an iterative monkey. It's just a, it's just a machine. It, and and you see that at, when you get to three, the input is three. Now one and two AI looks a lot more impressive. Graham's number destroys tree in the early ones, but gotcha. you get to three and 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 tree runs away with it. Let alone four, five, ten, sixty-four million, whatever. You know now you're like you can't even wrap you can't even wrap your mind around tree three itself. But point is that 
This is the way organic complex systems work. It's like tree three. So to me, the big idea is this thing that seems so impressive because it is impressive, Graham's number, is never going to catch the complex system. No matter how fast we can iterate, we will never catch up with the math of a complex system. You're never going to solve the stock market. You're never going to know in advance. You, you'll solve chess. You'll solve uh, Go. You'll solve these games that are you know solvable by sort of just a massive amount of processing power to an iterative intelligence, but you're never going to solve complex systems. Fair enough, man. I'm glad that you took that and ran with it because my only note on AI was, I hope that I can feed it a bunch of Gibson specs and that it can 3D print us a couple of cool Les Pauls. I would settle. If AI can print 3D print some cool Les Pauls, I would, I would take that. But Good segment, man. So I'm glad, I, hope, I hope people can stay with it. But to me, this is the most important thing because all these midwit takes of like, oh, the AI is going to be much smarter than you and it's going to do everything for you and think for you and all this stuff. Midwittery. It's the same like, <laughs> oh, you're just a brain in a vat. Oh, we're in a simulation. Like all this shit, midwit shit. You know, it's like the, 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 the sub, sublimeness, I guess is the word. I was going to say sub, sublimity. The sublimeness of, you know, the Tao, you know, complex systems, um, is just so much deeper than this sort of um, low-level sort of uh, mechanical uh, processes. And, and so like, I just think like the AI discussion is, um, I, it's almost like it's nihilistic. It's like people who have no faith in sort of the complex processes that made galaxies and forests and coral reefs and people and markets and you know, works of art. I, I just think like it's, it's like, it's like, what are you, ignorant of like everything that has any meaning or value in the world. I mean, you just, well, there's another like, way to look at that. So take my, my silly Gibson example to 3d print less Paul's the AI could easily generate something like Ansel Adams was a, a fairly popular artist. You can say that's highly commercial art and I can appreciate that. But I mean, the AI is going to be able to do a lot of things that, you know, are, are in that art realm and stuff to the extent that people want it. You know, do you want a human painted thing? People buy replicas all the time. So I, I find it to be similar to that. AI created songs are, are sometimes super cheesy, but I've heard a couple of them that were, were fun, you know, so I, and it's only going to get better. I just don't think it can, it can, it can cross that gap. I'll, I'll give you another, I know this is probably even worse, but this guy, George Cantor, the 19th century mathematician, he figured out there were different orders of infinity. Like there's the same amount, there's actually the same amount of natural numbers, you know, not just integers, the same amount of integers as there are odd numbers. That's the exact same amount, right? You think, well, there should be twice as many because there's even numbers, but it doesn't work. You can match them one to one to infinity. But actually there's infinitely many more points on the line than there are natural numbers. So it's like a higher order infinity. And the, the lower order infinity just can't match one to one with it. And that's kind of how I feel like this mechanistic growth versus the, uh, the complex system growth. It's like, it will never match it up. It's going to get destroyed. Whether music, you know, there's going to be imitations. There's going to be stuff that, you know, passes. Um, you well, know, yeah, you there's the a lot of bubblegum pop that passes now that was created yep. by humans that I don't think is very sure. artistic. So well, what, how's the AI going to be materially different from that? Probably not. And a lot of humans, you know, we were trained to think like machines, bureaucracies are machines, communism in the 20th century was like, let's make society into this machine, this top down machine. You know, we've, we've tried to be like, well, what's, you know, we don't, we're not animals We're we're, you know, we try to divorce ourselves from our animal history. Let's we're, we're more advanced. So, and we can make these machines. And then we sort of, um, think that, you know, oh, that's, you know, 
that's sort of a, a, a higher nature than our animal natures. And so we um, try to think like machines, teach kids to think mechanistically, formulaically. And I, I just think that like, that's why like a lot of, there's a lot of schlock out there because it is sort of sh humans shittily thinking like machines that AI will be way better than you at uh, thinking like a machine. And it's going to beat you in chess. You've got no chance. Right? Like let's, let's keep it real. I mean, you're not going to win in things like that. Right. But, that was the funniest you, thing you said on the podcast was obviously don't compete with a calculator. <laughs> that's, like, yeah. that's super easy to understand. I, um, Let's wind this segment down. We're at about an hour. I had one more thing here on the outline. You want to keep going? You want to give these uh, folks a, one more segment? I'm good for as much as you want, man. I'm, I, you know, I, uh, you let's get catch talking. a quick break and we'll fire out with one final segment. Okay. Good faith disagreements. I want to take us to a topic where we have a good faith disagreement, a reasonable conclusion versus a reasonable doubt, and that is on the topic of excess death. So for people who may not be aware, there is a very alarming phenomenon in the world right now, and that is quantified, I think, most convincingly by some insurance data that shows the excess death count, the amount of unanticipated, if you will, people who are dropping dead is at a very alarming spike. And there are a couple of things that occurred over the last couple of years, as you may know, the COVID virus itself, and of course, the mRNA response to the COVID virus. Something is causing people to drop dead. There is no conclusion that I'm aware of that can definitively say we've looked at actually all the autopsies and here's what it is. So we are left to speculate. And to the extent that there's any such thing as reasonable speculation, Chris, I think you've got some pretty clear conclusions on where the excess deaths are coming from. Yeah. I don't think you and I are going to disagree as much as maybe we hope for this, but I, I I'm probably, as you said in your outline, uh, more sold on this than you are. And to me, there's one thing that basically everybody in these developed countries that happen to have this excess death did, or, you know, 70% of them did or whatever on average, 80%. And that's take this novel experimental drug. And we know for a fact that it's killed some people, right? We know people have had lots of adverse effects, gotten sick from it and died from it. That's we true. don't know that it explains, you know, this massive uptick of an excess death, but even um, the you know, the most uh, pro-jab countries admit that at least in the hundreds or thousands um, of people have died. I think Germany admitted a few months ago that it, 280 people had died. I mean, they know it kills people, right? They know it, I mean, that should have been, you know, it used to be like 25 people died of the swine flu vaccine in the seventies and they shelved it right away. So, you know, it's just like, they're That's like, a huge they difference. yeah, we could, we could have a really long segment on all of the things that contribute to the fact that the MRNA jab was not as safe as it was advertised. So we know it kills some people, right? Yep. And we know it's injured a lot of people. Those things are just facts. Those, that's not even speculation. And then we're like, what explains this huge excess death? And people say, oh, well, you know, people didn't get their cancer screenings or they didn't go to the doctor very much. Well, you know, it turns out that like certain cancers like lung cancer are not up, right? Those things that would have helped from screenings. Screenings would have, you know, prevented those. And it's cancers that you can't even screen for that are way, way up, you know, that nobody screens for. So that's not really the explanation. Um, there's just, it, it just seems to me, it was kind of like the lab leak. It's the same discussion. It's like, well, it could have been a, from a cave a thousand miles away. And if you get a really good, uh, account that explains what animal it went through and how it 
worked. I, I will let go of the lab leak hypothesis because you got a better explanation. If you tell me that OJ didn't kill um, his ex-wife and, and her friend and some other guy confesses and explains all the evidence in a much more thorough way than my current hypothesis, which is that OJ fucking killed them, um, then I'll drop that and I'll believe this other guy killed them. But you know, it's been 30 years and I haven't seen that. So I'm sticking with my hypothesis. And the same with the lab leak. Like, you know, if they came up with a credible explanation, even though there was so much propaganda and so much um, deceit in trying to propagate an explanation, they still couldn't come up with anything that really nope. explained the data better than like, oh, that place where the virus broke out. Yeah, that was like right next to the lab where they were doing this kind of research on those particular kinds of viruses. Hmm. You know, you could overcome that presumption, but my presumption is that's the explanation. And to me, this is very similar. It's like, I'm not saying it's impossible. There's some other explanation or a combination of explanations. I just think like this thing kills people. It's novel. It's, you know, there's, we have no long-term data or any kind of real safety data on it. That's they true. gave it to, they gave it to everybody. Yep. And all of a sudden there's all this excess death. I wonder what it is now. Again, if, if, and I know you're not saying you have the explanation, you're just saying, no. And I just, I one. doubt that it's the MRNA shot for a couple of different reasons. So first and foremost is the same kind of conclusion that I arrived at. And I think uh, I'm going to echo something that you said, which is I don't see any older athletes, older actors, anyone dropping dead from COVID yet. The response is that it's this killer wipe out the earth virus. So what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing don't line up. And it's the exact same theory, what I'm hearing about folks who's, who want to attribute or do attribute uh, excess death to the mRNA shot. I personally know so many people who have taken the mRNA shot, some who, who just keep going with the boosters and stuff, and they're still in fine health. I know nobody, you know, I guess knock on wood, you can say it's privilege and all that stuff. And I wouldn't disagree with that entirely. I don't know anyone who's been directly affected by COVID itself as a virus. Nobody who got a real bad case and died from it. I don't know anybody who's had a adverse event from the vaccine or potentially had an excess death. Nobody I know has, has dropped dead in this excess death curve. So I think that's part of why it's so easy for the media not to cover it is because we're not seeing excess death among those, you know, famous folks either. So talk about that if you can for a minute, the, the kind of hand in hand on both sides of the equation, the story sometimes isn't lining up real good with what folks are seeing. First of all, I think that's a great heuristic, right? I mean, like I didn't know anyone that died of COVID. We're locking down, we're stopping schools where, you know, they're forcing you to take some mystery injection. I, I would have thought I was stepping over bodies in the street or that, as you said, like all these celebrities were dying, you know, the, uh, the yeah. you know, it's like Keith Richards and well, Keith Richards won't die for anything, but you know, Jimmy Page, all these people are still alive. They're old, you know, all these older actors Stephen and musicians. King's the stand, man. It was not yeah. Captain Trips. They acted like this was fucking Captain Trips and it was nothing close to that. Yeah. So, so that, so, so with COVID, it was obviously a, a huge amount of exaggeration. Um, but I, I think this is a little different because they wanted you to think people were dying of COVID. So anybody who, you know, died, you know, with COVID, they tried to attribute it to COVID as much as they could and jacked up the numbers as much as they could. This is the 
the total opposite, right? So like you don't know anyone with adverse effects. I know a lot of people with very weird neurological problems, younger people that got cancer. Really? And of course it's not from the job because uh -huh. it is from the job in my opinion, or it's likely from the job. I mean, any one case you, you really don't know, they might've gotten it anyway, but there's a lot of people that I know that have had, you know, neurological problems, brain issues, um, eyesight issues, yeah, like all well, sudden onset thyroid problems, cancer. I mean, there's a lot of people that have had these things. And so, you know, and then there's a lot of people recently who've had adverse effects, you know, Jamie Foxx, like what, what happened to him? And, you know, Damar Hamlin, what was that? And, you know, you have guys the, like with Justin Bieber. Actual, and, right. But we, all of those are speculative as far as I know. But, but they're only speculative because they don't tell you the cause, right? Like That's they're true. not doing autopsies right. on these people who die, right? So if they die to the vaccine, unless it's like blatantly obvious, like the guy got the shot and killed over and died, or he got the shot and the next day, he was perfectly healthy, dropped dead and his that family did because there, the there are clinical examples of that. Right. But there's only a couple thousand of those. So that's not going to explain the excess death levels that we have. Right. But but the reason why all these other deaths, I'm not saying they all are, and they certainly are they certainly aren't all because of that. You know, there's many, many of them that would have happened anyway or had no, nothing to do with it. But, oh, but many now of let me draw the in good faith, let me draw the comparison between the two points that you just made, which were during COVID, certain governmental entities assessed all deaths as COVID deaths because it fit what they kind of wanted to promote. So now you, you're essentially assessing all of these as vaccine injuries. It's, it, it seems like a parallel to me. Tell me how it's different. No, I, I'm not saying they're all vaccine injuries. I'm saying th these are unusual afflictions striking yes. young people. And I would say that it's almost certain, it is certain that some of them are vaccine injuries and some of these are vaccine deaths. It, it would be crazy to say they all were because A, you don't know that and B, the odds that all of them were are almost zero. They're zero because, you know, let's say I thought each one, each unusual, um, you know, the younger they are, the more unusual it is. Why does Justin Bieber have this weird facial paralysis, right? I would think that's like 90% that that's the vaccine. Um, older people that drop dead of a heart attack at age 75, I think that's probably more like 20% that's a vaccine because people die of heart attacks at 75. The other confounding variable is people are unhealthy. We're fed all kinds of poisons in society from plastics to seed oils to pesticides. So that like, you know, if we were a baseline healthy society, this would be obvious, but it's just that the people are dropping dead for no reason from other things too, you know? So it, it muddies the waters and it's harder to say, Oh, this is definitely the vaccine. Right. But I, well, will say I would a, like, go ahead. Sorry. Didn't mean to cut But you. I will say that a, there's a long list of celebrities with very bizarre things that have happened to them. And, and, but, but you will never get, Oh, this is the vaccine. And when someone dies, they don't do an autopsy. I mean, they just don't find out. They just say he passed away suddenly. What about that guy, Grant Wall? He died in, in Cotter, journalist, soccer journalist, and yeah. he had a heart attack in the booth. And people were like, oh, they, they, they assassinated him for wearing a, a rainbow shirt. He, he's that, like, yeah, he's there was focused. some silliness over that. But, but like, what, why did he die? We don't really know. They said, oh, he had a, a sickness the week before. But like, why? Like, they well, don't. I'm, I'm content to, to let that be his family's medical business. I, I, you oh, know, really? But, well, how about when you're trying to go into a restaurant and it wasn't. You know, right. You're, you're, you're but I would, I would take the same understood and I would take the same approach and I, you know. I wouldn't need to see a card to get you into a restaurant either. I'm pretty consistent on that, but this is where I want to thank PubMed. So um, there are tons of studies done throughout the 80s, 90s, 2000s, early 2000s on cardiovascular risks to high school athletes. And as tragic as it's 
it is, it is not uncommon to have a bunch of high school students unfortunately die of sudden cardiovascular issues uh, well before COVID. So things like Damar Hamlin, we can't just dismiss out of hand, you know, the long history of of verified cardiovascular risks, excuse me, cardiovascular risks on a football field or any athletic field for that matter. So, you know, I, uh, I feel like I want to try and get the conversation into one spot, which might be to its detriment, but let's drill through the DeMar Hamlin thing real quick. We can't say that that's a vax related injury in any way, shape or form. We have no idea. No. Well, we, they, they haven't told us, right? He, Correct. he basically they said, I can't not. talk about this. He was interviewed and he said, I'm not going to get into the cause. And then later he said it was Camosho Cordis, which was from the blow. He did get hit by, uh, what's somebody name? Yeah. from the Bengals, yeah. uh, you know, like two plays before. So it could be that, I mean, it honestly could be. Um, and in any given situation, again, I, one thing I think you got to be careful of is say, this was definitely the vax. And then it turns out you're wrong. Um, that's stupid because, um, there's no need to do that, right? You just look at the data. There's 23% excess death, right? Or something like that yeah. in these so, developed countries. So, so to, to, to hang it on Damar Hamlin, right? Which I think it, I would say 90, 10, 80, 20, something like that, that it was, but okay. But those high profile not. incidents become the flashpoints. So I but think I, we do need to address it and say that we have no clue what happened to Damar Hamlin. Yes, his medical team could have cleared up some of that confusion, perhaps, but they're not required to and or incentivized to either. They're very strongly disincentivized to. That is really the point, right? They, okay. Nobody and that's wants a fair point, that. and, for sure. And he's, for sure, he's probably suffering enough, recovering from this severe injury, whatever it is. And, you know, to be the anti-vax guy on top of that, like, I don't think he wants any piece of that. The NFL, <laughs> the, 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 let's just put it this way. I don't know for sure what happened to him, okay. but the odds that if it was the vax and they knew it was the vax, the incentives are, let's just not talk about this, which I think is what's happening. So that doesn't prove that it is. It just shows that um, you're not going to get that satisfaction of, oh, that's what it is. You see, th this is the opposite of COVID in some ways, you know, one, they're doing everything they can to say it's because of this. The other, they're doing anything they can to look for any, you know, Qatari assassinations on the table, but not, not the vax, even though there's 23% excess death. We know it's killed people. This guy drops dead suddenly. He was previously, uh, presumably healthy and it can't be this, whatever it is, we cannot talk about this. To me, that's extremely suspicious. But the other that thing I want to get back to- That is extremely, before you get back to it, that is yeah. extremely suspicious when some of the most dishonest voices immediately rush in to say, well, one thing is certain. It's not because of the vaccine. It's like, wow, I'm skeptical. So anyway, I didn't mean to, uh, to cut no, off no, before I, you were on the point. Sorry, I've been talking much more and then you've been very, uh, no, no, it's straight. great conversation. It just flows okay. the way it flows. So, but, but no, but so, so, so that's one thing, right? The, 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 the absurdity of that, of, of why they're trying to do that. But the other thing is, I mean, I just spaced, I was going to say, but it was, um, it oh, it's this. It's that, look, if there's 23% excess death, what does that mean, right? It means 123% of the normal amount of people are dying. Now, that's grave. 23% of the normal, I mean, that's a lot of people. That's a lot. You man. know, in the U.S. alone. It's scary. Um, it's scary. Uh, I'll say it. Skeptic. It's scary, man. It, so he estimates 288,000 excess deaths from the vaccine in 2022. Okay, that's what he estimates. 288,000 people above and beyond the normal baseline level that you'd expect to die. And he has very fancy ways of doing it, but whether he's right or not, doesn't matter. The point is, even though it's such an insane number of people, 
remember, it's 23% above normal. So if you would be expected to know one person that died in this past year, you'd be expected to know 1.23 people that died um, with a 23% excess death rate. So the idea that like you don't know a bunch of people that died, to me, like, yeah, if there was like an 800% excess okay, death yeah, rate, it's okay. anecdotal and it's not good evidence. So I, I didn't mean to imply that, but the heuristic, I think you captured what I was really saying. Oh, and, 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 I, and it's not anecdotal. I mean, I think that you have to trust your eyes and ears. There's so much bullshit and there's bullshit by people who, and you pointed this out, like if I really want to believe the Vax is doing this because- I've been saying the vax is bad and blah, blah, blah. And I was taking shit from idiots who were trying to force me to do it. <laughs> I may want to have a conclusion that makes me right and feel good and be like, see, so you've got to be careful. There's lots of people like that. Also, I, I think most of those people came at it from a, a more honest position than the, the people that were team good, you know, and, and Pfizer and whatever. But, but I still think those people can err getting a little bit overly, you know, we're all susceptible to wanting to be right and be vindicated from what we're saying. Um, and, and so you, you should have a heuristic of, okay, what do I see with my eyes and ears? Like, does it comport with what this person's saying? And I think that's fair, but I was just pointing out that 1.23 to one ratio is not going to necessarily be obvious, like, you know, outside the, the greater data. Uh, and what do you make of that? That, that, that there is just no, I mean, dude, this again, is the it supports story. your, and to make a reason to the extent there's any such thing as reasonable speculation. It's reasonable to speculate that the reason the media is blacking it out is because they are confident that it's probably something that they're not going to want to report, which would probably be something related to the jab. So it's, again, it's, it, it's circumstantial, but it's still valid to consider that when you're analyzing, okay, are the worst people in the world telling me it's anything but the jab? And are they not talking about the excess death thing? Okay, maybe there's something here that I should pay attention to. It's actually a real big red flag. I mean, yeah, again, and just like the OJ thing, I'm open to, to some explanation coming out that just says, oh, no, you were totally wrong. It wasn't that. It was this other right. thing that happened worldwide in every country, basically, every developed country. I don't think there's excess death in you know these African countries. Again, I know you're not purporting to say you have the explanation. You're just saying you're not 100% convinced. No, I, I, so I lean the other way. I'd, I think if the mRNA jab was causing it, it would, it would have to mean that the spike protein is capable of doing some incredible things for it to catalyst or escalate cancers across the board in the way that it has, or, or, you know, conditions it's, you know, you never want to jam something impure into your bloodstream like that, especially without informed consent, but I don't want to beat a dead horse. Once it's in you, you know, it, you have the cycle. There's there's a lot of clinical data, of course, on on you know how long and what are the effects of of the jab in your bloodstream. And I don't want to take it to a super scientific place, especially when I am not a science expert on it. I'm I'm relying on some other folks who I, I trust who are looking at the same data. But to kind of flush that point out, you know, how fucking magical would the jab have to be in order to create a 23% across the board excess death rate? I mean, there's got to be something else would be my natural Occam's razor is it can't be a single source. There's got to be multiple things that are causing it. And the, the jab may be one portion of the 23%, but it, I've got to believe there's something else. I don't know. I, I It could be. And, and that is probably the most reasonable I, I think that's like the most reasonable the way to think 
about it being such a, cause the, the, the evidence is so, is, the circumstantial evidence is strong, but it could be a combination of that and something, uh, together. Uh, but, um, to tie it to your complex system thing, we'll never understand the complex system of the human body. We've got a lot of the physiology figured out and stuff, but I mean, for this thing to cause that kind of 23%, that's, that's amazing. What other things well, there ever, it's I was not 23, but, but let's, let's, let's be clear. It's not 23% of people are killed who take it, right? It's no, 23% among like, so like there's a certain number of people who die every year, you know, let's just say in the U S I don't, I'm just making this up. It's like a million. It's probably more. So there would be an extra 230,000, uh, dying, um, which, you know, out of 300 million is still a very small percentage. So it's not like it's, it's killing 23% of the population, right? It's killing, um, yeah. Beg, uh, thank you for I mean, clarifying. So it's creating a, so allow me to clarify it. So it, to think that the, the juicy jab is the primary driver for a 23% excess death rate. That's really what I'm trying to say. Not that it's killing 23% of yeah, the population. Yeah. No, that's I know not, you weren't saying yeah, that, but just yeah, but no, thank, like, wow, yeah, thank you for clarifying. Yeah, yeah, that would be a powerful <laughs> statement. That was not what I meant yeah. at all. So thank you for pausing to lay Things that out. get a little more unhinged than they but already are. try and case. think throughout the history. Has there ever been something, an injectable, that, that has had you know, widespread, I guess we're in uncharted territory. I guess it's, it's, there's no way that you, even if there hadn't been, how is the, the past analogous to the rollout of this particular job? Yeah, it's a new technology. And also just, you know, people have had several doses and imagine, you know, you were taking heroin. It was like a hot dose where it was like a much stronger <laughs> dose than you knew. <laughs> and, and I don't, you know, who knows how uniform these things were. And in fact, a lot of the research shows that like there were clusters of injuries. So there were certain batches that were really, really bad. And hopefully, you know, the people that, you know, if you're listening to this and you took it, that you got one of the more harmless batches. If there is such a thing. There is. I believe got- the clinical data seems to support the hot lot yeah. concept so, where some of those I- batches just fucked everybody up where, you know, knock on wood. Again, I, I have taken the Pfizer two-step and I verified my lot against, you know, the hot list. And I'm blessed to have, I just lucked out. I won the jab lotto. I didn't get a hot lot. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad I hope, you know, I hope, I hope the hot lots have exhausted themselves at this point. And, um, but yeah, um, we'll see. I mean, it, you know, it's better if I'm wrong. The other kind of scary thing, and I, I probably shouldn't even say this, but is that like, what if, you know, the, the normal, this is, I, I shouldn't even say this, you know, I, I, we can always it. edit it. I might write here. a conspiracy pit post on this of just, you know, is that what if, you know, this thing kills you in like seven years on average and the people that have died already are just like the outliers, you know, they, they're just like the early, you know, so like, like most people that got it are going to go within a few years. Cause it's so toxic that your body like fights it to an extent, but it's just like a slow motion thing. Anyway, I, I shouldn't even say this because <laughs> I have no evidence that that's the case. And this is hard. Um, I, 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 I don't want it's fine. To, it's fine. I don't want to like make everybody, you know, miserable and depressed. It would, you know, it's just a, a total speculation but the idea that, you know, that, and, and I guess the, the reason I would even bring that up is just sort of like the results are not all in. It's not all in from the money printing during the COVID lockdowns. It's not in from the education loss. And it's not in from this because there is no long-term data. We don't know, you know, the second, third, fourth order effects of what we've done. Um, and, and these people with the hubris to, to not only, you know, try to defend it, but they ordered it. I mean, this stuff is like, you know, it's like linear thinking in a complex system, not even the AI thinking. These are just like dumb people you know, not even Graham's number. This is like two times two and they're trying to, you know, <laughs> meddle in a complex system. And, 
and amazing. Uh, it's an amazing yeah. thing to watch. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. All right, let me let me try and round out the show. Thank you for a wonderful conversation and some good faith debate. I, I appreciate it, man. And uh, always great uh, talking to you on the show. And uh, you know, thanks for bringing up topics that are interesting and uh, fun to talk about.